Welcome to We're Listening, the podcast all about Frasier. I'm Will. And I'm Steve. And this week we're looking at Season 6, Episode 15, To Tell the Truth, in which Niles hires the legal aid of one Donnie Douglas to aid him in his battle with Maris, forever changing the trajectory of his life. Steve, I'm not going to ask you something that changed the trajectory of your life. Rather, I'm going to ask you, what sandwich would you need to be eating to deliver a pleasurable moan in a professional setting such that the bologna and mustard sandwich causes Donnie to elicit? I think it's, for me, it's, it's probably actually quite simple. It'd probably have to either be something like roast beef, just plain. I, I'm quite a simple person like that, but I do actually really like lamb. If it's left over from a roast, lamb with a little Ooh. bit of mint sauce on a Monday morning, absolutely perfection. God, if you're having beef on a sandwich, dare I say a bit of Coleman's mustard? You could. I do like I, I like cold beef just with a smearing of butter just between two bits of white bread. It's, mm. it's absolutely delicious. So. That is delicious. I, I think that with a, bit of, <laughs> with a bit of mustard for me would go down a tree. I... I'm going to be a bit more specific here. There are other supermarkets available, but Aldi do a sandwich. It's like a New York-style pastrami, Emmental. I've got to have talked about this on the pod at some point. Um, on a big bloomer <laughs> bread. It's just absolutely delicious. Um, and it, not entirely dissimilar to the thing Donnie is eating. So, listeners, what sandwich would you need to be eating? <laughs> That would cause you to forego any kind of professionalism and just kind of give out this kind of primal moan of pleasure. Um, Please do let us know. Shall we? Took ourselves in to Trivia Corner this week, Steve. Yes, uh, listeners, Will has got me to swear under oath um, that I will only tell the truth in this listener. Uh, Sorry, sorry, in this Trivia Corner, sorry. I have indeed. So... Uh, our boy MK opens the proceedings. Uh, he's in the dock, as it were. And he asks, question one, in the initial meeting with Donnie, what seven things does Maria do to keep Donnie's day running smooth slash help Donnie with Nars's case? Seven things. What, what, what do you mean? What does he call uh, Maria in? Essentially, any service Maria provides. Um, so brings him a sandwich. She does. Brings him a towel, I believe. Uh, oh, no, no, no. Brings him a grey suit. Grey suit. Um, gets Lockhart and Whalen on the phone. She does. Uh, Seven's a lot. It is a lot. You're going to have to help me out. What's the most obvious thing that she has to do, That the very first thing that she would have done um, involving Nars and Frazier? <laughs> Other than introducing them, I don't know. Basically that. Let's let's yeah. Fraser and Niles in. Um uh adds Joe Silver to the call sheet, reminds Donnie he's due in court. Twenty minutes and yep. tells Donnie about the mustard on his yeah, face. Of course. There we go. Of course. A devilishly tricky one from MK there. Uh when Donnie tells Jeff Whalen about his plan to countersuit, which other Seattle legal firm does he suggest Whalen consult with to see why his plan is strong and actionable? Niles is with Harrison and Reed, isn't he? Yeah, this one passed me by. Also, I've got my KACL mug here, just for your viewing pleasure. I have Guinness. Excellent. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, I don't know. I don't don't know another legal team on that one. It's York and McFadden. Um, Both very legitimate sounding legal firm names. Um, How much time passed between when Martin saw the suspect shoot someone and when he was on the stand at a witness as as a witness, sorry, at the trial? How much time has passed? 
got to be a week later, I reckon. It's a bit longer than that, my friend. It's two months. Two months. Two months. Two months. Uh, trivia from Dr. Nora Fairchild, brackets Jess Sterling. <laughs> um, first time caller, we think, in Trivia Corner. Which three people did Fraser quote in his wedding toast to Niles and Maris? Uh, that would be Shakespeare. Yes. Jazz great Louis Armstrong. Yes. And the poet Catullus. Catullus. <laughs> uh, excellent stuff. Trivia from the scary hippopotamus. When Niles calls Maris to inform her he flushed out her family secret, what's the initial reasoning Marta says that Maris cannot come to the phone? Please include any relevant durations. Oh. I, I at least. Literally, I'm going to have to tap out and use the not to the best of my recollection. <laughs> um, I, I, I do not know the answer. So Maris is in her guru serenity training in a week of silence, day six. And so she's nearly at the end. Um, <laughs> trivia from he's a goth now. What two things does Maris choose between when the dog needs a shampoo? What are the two options? Uh... Get a new dog and fill the bath with Evian, I believe. Evian. Very, <laughs> very good indeed. Um, have you got some trivs for me, Mr. Mutum? Uh, do, 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 do. I, I don't have anything written. However, mm, that's okay. I can possibly make something up. Or would you prefer if we just go to the phones? Yeah, just carry on. No, actually, actually, I'll I'll give you one. What are the two things Frasier names Niles has in his lunchbox? Ooh, the bologna sandwich. Yes, and one other thing. I do not remember him naming something else. Um, It's going to be something miserable and processed (laughs) and out of character. So I'm just going to say like a, a, a candy bar. It's a fruit cocktail. Oh, I'll give you. I'll give you one other quick one uh, that I can literally see from my notes. Uh, In Donnie's office, they find out which university Donnie attended. Where is it? Oh God, good one. I don't even remember this being mentioned. Um, It's not really the University of Grenada, like the uh, shrink wrap episode. There wasn't um, a shortage of tassels for the mortarboards. Oh, the Las Vegas! I do remember that. Very good, very good. Okay, <laughs> let's continue for you, Steve. Trivia from the Hammermeister General down under himself. What colour is the plate on Donnie's desk when he puts his feet up there? Also, how many sandwiches are on it? Just random guess of two sandwiches and brown, I don't know. <laughs> it's blue and technically one because the other one's in his hands, but... He will need to put both on the plate at some point. So I'm going to give you I'm going to give you half a point there. Uh, the title of this episode, to tell the truth, is also a name of a TV series from which two decades? I'm going to say the 70s and 80s. Oh, it's the 50s and 60s. <laughs> um, a good one, though. Uh, this is the first time we see Donnie and Frazier. How many episodes does Saul Rubinek feature in altogether? Bonus. Can you name the last episode he features in? I think the last one he possibly is it the dish runs away with a spoon or is no. it the one before that isn't it no think about think back to when they bump into him later in life oh no yeah that's oh crikey um i I'm, this is a great question i'm is it the, very is surprised it, by the answer is it the ring cycle brilliant um yeah. I'm very that season 10 f1 i'm very surprised by the number of episodes he's in I think I'm going to go with 11. A really good guess. It's 15. Yeah. No, Joe, I nearly said 17. I thought it was going to be lower than that. I thought I was overestimating with 15. 15's a lot. Uh, so, sorry, it? with 17. Yeah, yeah, no, 15 is quite a few, but I suppose he, he does play that love interest quite well with Daphne. So that's probably quite reasonable. Spread yeah. out as well, isn't it? Spread out. Absolutely right. We've got quite a lot of other trivia questions here, but uh, you know, let's keep going. Um, we'll have to maybe rain it in uh, in future episodes because it's amazing how, how big the cadre <laughs> has grown. Uh, trivia from LBB, little Bobby Brisk. Uh, whilst looking at baby pictures of Ross's baby Alice, Niles references an Italian painter. Who? I don't know why the first word that came to my head is Orsini, but that's not, that's a restaurant. That's a restaurant. Um, I, I don't know. Uh, literally, um, Raphael, I don't know. Botticelli, Botticelli. Uh, Maris is claiming alienation of affection. What is that? 
I would presume that's because uh, Niles is in love with Daphne, isn't it? So I presume that's um, basically cheating on him. Or, or I don't know, it's, it's very difficult to try and describe properly. I'm not the lawyer. Why can't Key be here this time? <laughs> He'd know exactly what it is, surely. It's, this is really interesting, actually. So alienation of affection is grounds for a lawsuit where a plaintiff accuses defendant of the international in, intentional interference of a married couple's relationship where the defendant makes one person stop loving the other. So it's considered a legal wrong. So if you married someone, uh, if you're married and someone gets in the way of your relationship, causing your spouse to stop loving you, you might be able to take them to court for it. Yeah, you probably can't do that in the UK, can you? No, you, you can't do that. <laughs> um, this would mean that Maris was actually threatening to sue Daphne at some point. This is even more interesting because when Daphne ultimately leaves Donny at the altar for Niles, Donny never threatens to sue Niles for alienation of affection, which would have been much more appropriate given how the situation unfolds. Very, Very good clever. stuff. Trivia from Chopper Dave. First time trivia from Neil Salmon. When does Frazier say he would lie under oath? Uh, when would he? Is this about the comet by any chance? <laughs> to save mankind from a... Uh, a comet that's going to hit the uh, Earth. A talking know. comet, no less. Yeah, oh, of course, yeah. Who am I lying to? The comet? <laughs> <laughs> um, last question from our boy Noel Crane. What is so special about Cafe Nervosa in this episode? About Cafe Nervosa or about the waiter in Cafe Nervosa? Keep going. Uh, Paul Cusimano, uh, is this is the only time he actually speaks? How do you know that? Because <laughs> I'm a complete nerd. Honestly, he, I, you I can't remember lo- Botticelli, <laughs> but you know you know the name of the actor. And... Yeah, he's 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 the one we spoke about before. He's the waiter in the background of literally every episode ever that shows Nivosa. This is the only time he says three words. Yes, it is. So in Nivosa, whenever Nivosa's featured, he's always there. Paul Cosimano is actually he's actually credited in I think all 264 episodes, even though Nervosa isn't in all of them. And he's, he's in the background. He's honestly in every Nervosa scene. Yep. Oh my god. I know we've talked about that, but here we are halfway through the <laughs> yeah. podcast series. And yeah. he's uh, he's only ever credited as waiter, and this is the only time he actually like I say, he says three words, first and only time he speaks. But that is a great trivia question. I'm really glad I actually knew that one. That's superb. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much for a bumper trivia corner uh, today. That's excellent stuff. Um, Please keep them coming. Um, Whether or not we have to kind of just pick our our eight to ten faves in future weeks, we'll see. Um, And obviously that will be at the discretion of MK and uh, and Hammy as well. Um, Please do keep them coming because you guys are just getting better every week and we love to read them out. Uh, Shall we jump into the review, Mr. Steve? Let's hop on over. Animation watch, please. Put me out my misery. Well, after last week, when uh, there was a, a disgruntled <laughs> will about my moon or sun, I believe this is a lightning strike. But is it a thunderbolt? Which is it a thunderbolt? <laughs> um, did we get to the bottom of the moon or the sun? Did anyone else wade in? I don't think anyone's disagreed with me or with you, so I think everyone else just didn't care. <laughs> oh, a little uh, kind of non-partisan. Uh, Maybe kind of in Maybe in listener mail, people will uh, pull me aside and uh, slap me with a wet fish. And just or say, or it, me. It was, I might be it getting clearly a, wet a sun. <laughs> I might be getting the wet fish. Um, Nervosa coffee count, Steve. You got an update for us? Uh, we started off with 213, and Fraser, Ros, and Niles all have one. Niles is a cappuccino, so 216. Thank you very much for that. Uh, one of my favourite ongoing aspects of the pod. And without <laughs> you, it would have died four seasons ago. I would so never have you. let it happen. Never have let that happen. <laughs> um, I am going to risk the ire of our American listeners now, which is to say about 70% of those who listen to this podcast. What is the deal with the way they pronounce eczema? Um, oh, they, she, she says eczema. They say, they say they add an extra syllable and they say egg, eczema. Mm. It's spelled E-C-Z. Ex, eczema um yeah they say well, eczema because I, I, I i'm fairly confident this is in friends too yeah I, well i don't know i was gonna say is it only was that says it the boys don't say it do they i don't think no but i've definitely definitely feel like i've heard this before but if i haven't and it's just ross being weird in this episode americans please correct me i'm not, just I'm not i mean perry yeah. perry gilbert i think is from texas isn't she 
think. Not that so. that matters, but I just wanted to. It, it could a, be a, a southern, a southern twang. Yeah, maybe maybe just the way she pronounces it. I've not. I can't remember hearing it in this show at all, other than that one time. Yeah, well, I, I, please, please do correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to offend anyone because we love you, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful Americans. Um, but yeah, let us know. What's the deal? How do you pronounce it? Uh, Niles and Frazier here with their unseen kind of glances at one another as well about the baby. <laughs> very, very camp as well, the way Lot Frazier's like... You know, like I can't. It, I can't do the sound it, for listening. <laughs> but he, sound of Will making mouth noise. But he just it's, looks so. He looks so camp and kind of. It's just. It's just hilarious. It's so good. I mean, is it? Is it him that does it to Niles? Doesn't he? he sort of mouths. I know about yes. the X Men. I think does Niles then do it to Fraser about something else? Fraser and Roz do it to one another yeah. about Niles. Yeah, um, that's it. It's just because then I was thinking, is there a third where Niles and Roz do it about something Frasier says, which I feel like would have been a great setup, but they, I don't think they make good on that. Yeah, I think you're right. (laughs) Um, We learn now for the first time about uh, Niles' predilection for getting underneath a piano when uh, he's feeling blue uh, in times of stress. Uh, It's a safe, dark, protective environment, according to him. It makes sense when I think about the kind of psycho babble that Frasier kind of pulls out a lot of the time. You know, that idea of like people wanting to stay in bed because it's the idea of regressing into the womb. Mm. There's probably something to be said about the piano in a similar way. Like it's that dark, enclosed space. Um, Also puts me in mind of a brilliant poem called Piano by D.H. Lawrence, um, which is about an older man. I think he is actually sitting beneath a piano in the poem. Um, I can't be certain or he's near the piano, but he could be underneath it. And he hears the tingling of the strings and it basically takes him all the way back to when he was a child and his mother used to play and sing at the piano. And it's just all of this kind of, it's a gorgeous short poem about how nostalgia and that stimulus of the music kind of, in his words, betrays him back down the vista of years. Um, And he's kind of overwhelmed. Um, And he says like, I weep like a child for the past is the last line. It's this gorgeous yearning for childhood, all about pianos. Some uh, some listeners will see on the socials occasionally, I don't do it every time, but when we've referenced something like from Friends or from Seinfeld, occasionally I try and put the screenshot and just watch episode it was in case someone wants to watch it. Remind me later and I will put that poem on our socials under when we put this episode up. So if anyone we will get read, it up. can see it. It's a short poem. I think people would really enjoy it. Um, yeah. Harrison Reed, legit legal name, um, actually sounds like it could genuinely exist. Um, he would have been great to have on here just to kind of tell us does that sound legit, Key? Would that exist? Would that fly in the legal world? Because it sounds pretty legit to me. To, to be honest, I, w- I won't name them. Um, I actually, when I when I'm at de- uh, obviously I'm a I'm a postal worker, and I deliver to a law firm, and it's uh, it's three separate names. And when you sort of walk in, you see the mail th- or, or that that person, one of them comes out. I know who it is. I'm like, oh, he's the person who's really in charge. He's not the receptionist. He's not this. He's a partner. L- yeah, he's he's one of the owners. Do you know what I mean? You start and you think, oh, there's some power walking through that. You know, the suit exactly. The person who comes through, you think. Yeah, that's not a uh, that's not a um, Marks and Spencer suit. That's a real Savile Row, you know. <laughs> Savile you know Row. I mean? This is I buy my real suits money. Savile Row. <laughs> <laughs> I spell colour with a U. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's funny. And, and as Key pointed out last week, I think when he was discussing the fact that he had a fifteen-year-old Adidas bag and everyone else had Gucci. Do you know what I mean? There is a big. I think Key may correct me, but I think there's a big money difference between the people who are in charge and the, uh, oh, the people who are doing some of the monkey business sure. at the bottom. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Okay, I got another thing here, and again, I, I'm not, I'm not picking a fight. I love you, America. I, <laughs> I want you to help me. Um, what's the deal with saying Bologna as baloney? Um, because they mean Bologna sausage. That's the thing that's sliced up, and then obviously that's the kind of thin processed ham that you know we have on our, we have ham on our sandwiches and corned beef, which, which incidentally uh donny has later in the episode a lot of processed meats on sandwiches floating around in this episode um but yeah bologna has become baloney um and it's just a really odd one for me i don't know where where this comes from and again this is in multiple american i'm probably very wrong but i wondered whether that was like a brand do you know what i mean like i googled it and i i don't think it is Oh, I always wonder whether it's like Frankfurt, you know, we have Frankfurt sausages, etc. But then you have a branded version, don't you, and stuff like that. And it's like, it's the same thing, but everyone calls it by that name. And I, just, I suddenly just wondered if that was a kind of, yeah. it was using that meat, but that was the, uh, that was the sort of the market name for it. But yeah, I'm interested to know. 
I'd like, yeah, it's because I, I do. As far as I can see, it's just a nickname that's arisen, as as things often do, and there's nothing wrong with it. But it's just, you know, it's clearly gone from Bologna, the place in Italy, to Bologna. Um, Bologna is in Italy, isn't it? I believe I think so. so. I think so. Um, what processed meat of choice would go on your sandwich, Steve? You can't have delicious lamb or beef out of a roasting joint. You've got to go to the supermarket and pick up a plastic tray of processed crap. What are you getting? <laughs> processed crap. Oh, gee, let me think. This is definitely mm. an, this is another question that Key would know when he opens his can of meat and pours it into his sandwich. Key's um, meat surprise. I, I, I really don't know. I mean, it would, would, if you're just talking packeted meat, I mean, yeah, it's pr- probably the most basic. It's just like ham or chicken, isn't it, really? Are you going here? wafer so, thin? Are you going for that ham oh, that's no. thicker with the, the oh, golden crust? It has to have that crumb around the outside. It has to have me, a crumb. Ham. That wafer thin chicken is just scary. I feel like I'm eating cling film. It's just disgusting. It or is shrink, nuts. Shrink wrap for Americans, I think they call it, not cling they do. films. They do. Um, as we're as we're trying to be nice to relate to them this week. <laughs> I, I mean, to, like Fraser say, I spell colour with a U. I say I say elevator and not lift. So you know, you, you got you guys are working. You guys are working a number on me. Um, you know, I want to become indoctrinated. So so do let us know. Um, Donnie looks so sweaty and gross in this whole scene. He comes in wearing what can only be described as some kind of wrestling top. He looks like he's about to go out and defend for the WWE Heavyweight Championship. He's got like that kind of, you know, what do you call those things? What, for the wrestlers? A singlet? A singlet? It looks like he's got a singlet on. Um, And then he's kind of toweling under the singlet and he gets mustard on him and the the feet must smell appallingly. It's just the whole thing is actually, I mean, Sol Rubinek, I presume I'm saying that right, Rubinek, Rubinek. I would say, yeah, Rubinek. He's um, a very, very talented actor. He really is. I've loved him since the 90s when I first saw him in uh, True Romance as a sort of, I can't remember what he really plays. I mean, he's taking a lot of coke, I think, when he's driving and he gets in a lot of trouble. I think they actually crash the car or something like that. The, oh, no, the police pull him over and the coke goes absolutely everywhere and it's all over his face as the police come up. <laughs> you know, it, but he's just a hilarious actor in, in so many things. He's actually in um, Family Man as well. The Family Man, do you remember that Christmas movie? I don't mm-hmm. actually, no. Uh, Nicholas Cage is the main star and he wakes up one morning and he's no longer uh, a partner at a very, very good um, sort of trading firm in finance. And um, I think you'll find it's uh, um, what's his name? Sorry, Donny's Donny's character in the film then takes over that job, and uh, really? Nicholas Cage goes back to uh, he sort of switches places. So it's basically it's almost like sliding phrases. Basically, he wakes up in his previous life. If he had have married this girl rather than being single, then he'd have had this family, hence mm. the family man. But it all happens on Christmas Eve, so he wakes up Christmas morning in what he thinks is someone else's house, but actually he married. Uh, he married rather than going to London and working for Barclays and taking this uh, high-flying banking job. Ah. Um, but Saul Robinek's one of the uh, switchovers or crossovers in that film. Uh, the guy who plays Kenny is also in that. Hey. And uh, is it Tia Leone? Tia she, yeah. I was just looking she, her up, actually, because she so was she, in Yeah, so you've got Frasier. you've got three people who are all in Frasier that all happen to be in that film. I actually really recommend it. If anyone's wanting to watch a Christmas film in February, then uh, The Family Man is definitely a way forward. I'm I, kind uh, of always in the mood for Christmas films. Um, like, I can listen to Christmas instrumental music to relax me all year round. Um, yeah, like, like I say, it, the, the film itself is just great. You, you see how Nicolas Cage has got a really, really posh lifestyle, living a high-flying life, uh, drives a Lamborghini or whatever it is, or a Ferrari, and he's got lots of money, and he's posh, and he, and he listens to opera, and he's got all the finest things at this uh, at this business. And then suddenly he wakes up Christmas morning, something happens Christmas Eve, and he wakes up Christmas morning, he's married, he's got two kids jumping on him, he's got a dog, he lives in, in the suburbs, he's got an awful car, and he turns up to work that morning thinking, it's Christmas morning. He wants to go into the office and prove he's the president of the company. And Saul Rubinek's character has taken over the entire company because his life changed, and that's half that he took. So we're quite wow. interested in that way. But yeah, sorry, it's a bit of a film tangent there. But that's where I also a know welcome him one, from. a welcome <laughs> one. Um, no, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna sing Saul Rubinek's praises a great deal in this episode because I think he's brilliant, mm. um, and I think he's just yeah, he's clearly an accomplished actor. But uh, you know, you, you just forget that he's acting um 
I, I just think he's brilliant. He's so convincing as his character, um, like utterly convincing. Like you believe in Donnie Douglas within the first three minutes of meeting him. And it's not yeah. like, oh, this is a really annoying, weird cameo. Um, like we've had plenty of them. Like I, I did not like Aunt, what's her name? The Greek oh, Aunt Sora. Aunt Sora. Aunt Sora. <laughs> um, you know, things like that just did not work for me. But but here he's just he's just ace. Um I will say I get so annoyed by the kind of choice here where how he keeps interrupting Niles and then say, oh, no, come on, give, come on, give, give, give me, I'm listening, I'm listening, give me, give me. It's so actually, annoying. It is, but I really enjoy it. You can see that Niles is very straight-laced and very sort of trying to be professional. You know, I want yeah. to give you the whole story. And Donnie goes, yeah, Maria, can you bring me a sandwich? No, 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 keep going, keep coming, coming, keep going. Um, anyway, oh, yeah, I've got to get that grey suit. Yeah, keep coming, Niles. Come on, come on, give me the information. The fact that after that three minutes, he goes, look, I get the idea. Maris is trying to take your money. You've done this. That's done that. Let me call him. Who's 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 her lawyers? And Niles just goes, oh, I can't do this. And Fred goes, you know, give him a chance. And then he absolutely nails that phone call and just goes, right, I've got it down from eight months to, you know, a month. They'll see you in two weeks. And Niles just goes, yeah, you've got the job then, you know. And you yeah. think... He did prove exactly what Roz said, and that is that he is just a piranha. He, he is uh, a piranha, and not because of the night grinding. <laughs> <laughs> just went, he just went after his men and and, and got them. He did, as, as Fraser says, he's a lawyer with a little bit of moxie, um, <laughs> which not a word we use much here in the UK, but I'm a big fan of it. I think I might try and bring back moxie. I think 2024 like- might be the year of moxie. Niles' replies, if he if he lifts that towel another inch, he'll be showing us the full moxie. The full even, moxie. Just even better with the play on, the, obviously, the British film, The Full Monty, I suppose. So, Excellent. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb and say you love that film. I have only ever seen it once, pretty much when it came out, and I don't think I've revisited it since. I don't think I've ever seen it, but I think I'd probably enjoy it um, as a kind of commentary on northern British kind of working class towns. Do, and do you know probably what? on masculinity to some level as well. Yeah, I mean, from what I remember, it is, it is very British and it is very funny. It actually reminds me, of, I think, around the same time the film Brassed Off came out. Yeah. And, um, and I absolutely love that film. Some fantastic actors, um, Ewan McGregor, very young and stuff like that. And I think, I think I've spoken about this on the podcast before I'm doing a U now. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Brassed Off's another great one, you know, the shutting of the mines and stuff like that, which actually, saying that, there's a great documentary on Channel 4 at the moment, which I, I've pinned in to watch, which is about the closing of the mines in the 80s and how it affected Great Britain. Um, oh, wow. So that's more of, more for you than listeners, unless you're interested in the mining of uh, of the UK and how it changed the industry. But yeah, so that's another one I'm going to be watching soon. Good stuff, good stuff. Um, we're now back at 1901, and Donnie is educating or instructing, should we say, uh, the the Crane Clan on how they need to act in the in the deposition or when they get subpoenaed, etc. Fraser's speech now at his wedding, apt quotations from Shakespeare, Louis Armstrong and Catullus. Not familiar with Catullus. Um, I'm guessing like he's going to be like a kind of (laughs) antiquity poet. You're the well-read English teacher, so I'll tell you that I'm absolutely not familiar with him at all, other than hearing about him in this episode. (laughs) He was a Latin poet of the... uh, late Roman Republic, the explicit sexual imagery which he used in some of his poems has shocked many readers. There we go. Um, maybe, that, maybe that was why they put that in there, to, to say that that's why he did, uh, Fraser made that at the uh, at the wedding speech. Maybe, maybe. But there we go, Catullus, not familiar with his work, so if anyone knows any great Catullus verse, please pass it on. <laughs> um, we get the huge twist now with the phone call that Nars was in love with another woman, uh, and and Frasier's best delivery of the episode of not to the best of my recollection as he gets up with his cup of tea <laughs> and his, his saucer. Um, it's just absolutely brilliant. Um, and yet, I mean, this must have been a huge moment when this episode aired live. Like, oh my God, the yeah. cat's out of the bag and everything's here and how's it going to go down? Vaguely, I don't remember watching it air. I think I vaguely remember watching it properly the first time on DVD. And I, I, I even thought, do you know what? This is this is it. This is all going to come out. And uh, I don't think I'd really seen much past it. It was, it was weird for me watching Frasier when it first aired because I saw a lot of it when it first aired. And then I became sort of 16, 17, and I wasn't at home so much on a Friday night when it was airing. So I think I sort of got behind and then I bought DVDs later on and started watching again. Mm. Um, so, yeah, moments like this do stand out that you think, is this it? Is this how they're going to find out about Niles and Daphne? This is all going to go ahead. Even skipping ahead a little bit, when he then speaks about um, the whole situation at the lawyer's office, and Donnie says, I want the truth out of you, and Niles is about to confess, you think, is this now the moment? Is So it's, there's two or three sort of cliffhanger moments for a few seconds that you really think Niles is actually going to blurt out to someone other than Frasier 
how he feels about Daphne. And, we, yeah. he, and he still doesn't. He still doesn't. He keeps it in. Yeah, it's 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 a real kind of, oh, my God, will he, won't he moment? Mm. You know, where are they going to go here? And I do think ultimately the build up and the arc, they, they start with this episode that goes all the way to and the dish ran away with the spoon. Mm. It's just is so well done. Like they they so convincingly bring this arc to a to a close in as many words. Um, it doesn't feel rushed. I think it's excellent. I love the way the kind of seeds are set here. Um, brilliant delivery of you know Niles never wins. So Niles drives a hatchback. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he goes on about the hunchback or the hatchback as it is uh, quite a lot. Um, I'd love to catch a glimpse of this. Oh, is that the car, the red one that he's seen in? Um... Yeah, he's, I think he says it's a, a buggy that's detached from a roller coaster or something, doesn't he? It's ca- <laughs> no, a carnival ride, I think he says. But I wouldn't own up to that car if it was careening toward a baby carriage. <laughs> <laughs> I, do, I mean, it, there's a quite a clever callback, isn't it, when they say about when it happened and, and they say about the country ball. Um, yes. Obviously, a callback to Moondance and, um, and that performance. It's nice that they actually added that in just so we know that's when Maris. Where has it come from? Maris's people, as such, yeah. Where that, where they saw this love of Daphne, because Maris hasn't been to any of the things that I think. I does Daphne think this, even yeah. ever meet? You know, does Daphne even ever meet Maris? I don't think so. Not obviously, not that we see. We don't see Maris, but she's at one on. of the CB Awards when, um, because Niles is yeah. like, oh, it's it's Maris and Mrs. Beaumont, Maris and Mrs. Beaumont. So she that's will have it. seen her across the room, but probably not chatted to her. Yeah, I can't imagine Maris would uh, let herself go down as low as Daphne. Do you know what I mean? Her her brother's no, sorry, her brother-in-law's sort of servant as such, isn't it? You know, mm. do you know what I mean? Yeah, it, yeah. She's a you know, she doesn't frequently go out with Marta. Why would she hang out with Daphne? She's the doyen <laughs> of Seattle's elite. You know, she's lo- <laughs> she's looking down her nose at people like Daphne. <laughs> Um, I do think Frasier is a moron here. I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say it um, many times. But many yes. times. I understand he has his ethics. I think I, I don't think. Re- well, no, I'm not going to speak on behalf of all our listeners. I think the majority of our listeners would understand there are severe circumstances where you have to bend your ethics, and if it's for the the rightful protection of a loved one. Um, it's a no-brainer. And I just think you want to kind of grab him by his lapels and give him a bit of a shake in this episode, don't you? There is a fantastic, I say a fantastic book. I find it really interesting. A lot of people may not. As a big fan of Saved by the Bell from the 90s, uh, mm. a guy went out and wrote a book. It's called Zach Morris Lied. I think it's 361 times. And it details in all of the episodes, there's only four seasons of uh, Saved by the Bell. And um, it details every single incident where Zach Morris was basically trash, which is also a YouTube video um, by a different person. They make all the reasons why you shouldn't actually like the character. And one day, the protagonist. Yeah, one day I would absolutely love to go through the whole season of Frasier and actually write down every time Frasier lied because I think he probably tops Zach Morris. Frasier lies when he goes on dates of, oh no, I love dogs. No, I've just become a vegetarian. Yeah. All of these things to try and trick women into bed. He doesn't have an ethics problem then. He has an ethics problem lying under oath. But when it means that getting a woman into bed, his ethics go out the window. He doesn't care. That's the only oath he follows. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But if anyone's got an idea or wants to take a random guess, it'll be in a couple of years' time and I have to watch the whole show again. But I'd I love, love to that, see though. how many times Fraser Crane lies because I reckon he beats Zach Morris and Zach Morris really does lie to, to get with girls in probably five or six times per episode. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, he's, he's supposed to be like that. Zach Morris is that sort of kid. He's a wheeler, he's dealing all the time, he's always up to something, always coming up with a plan of how to make money, even though he's supposedly rich. His dad sells computers and apparently live in a millionaire's mansion sort of house. He's a, He's got the money. Do you know what I mean? He's the only kid yeah. at the high school with a mobile phone and it's like a brick. Um, he's got all the best trainers, but he's still into finding a scam way of making money off other students and always trying to impress girls and date the best girl in the school. Um, and Frazier just comes across like that. He's got money, but always just seems to want to scam a woman into bed. He doesn't need to. He's got everything you need just to to be with the right person. But yeah, to be an lies. eligible bachelor. He lives a great yeah. life. You know, he doesn't need to. So really, yeah. yeah, you should so do that as a project. <laughs> it's um, gonna it's gonna be a long drawn out project. But I'd love to know. I, yeah, I, if I, anyone I wants to have a guess, awesome. how many times does Fraser Crane lie? Because it's a lot. <laughs> That'd be great. Would you save mankind from a talking comet, Steve? Short one. I think I'd lie under oath to save mankind from I a think talking I would comet. Say. 
I mean, if the comet's talking, we've got bigger fish to fry and bigger things to worry about. You know, I'd sentient like to asteroids. Come on. I think I'd like to capture the comet, probably become its manager and make myself a lot of money by oh, that, taking on tour good. my talking comet. <laughs> my talking comet. Steve and his talking comet. Um, yeah, that'd be great. Just become like a carny traveling around, charging a very reasonable sum. Um, and it just finds out the comet doesn't actually have anything interesting to say and people want refunds and you have to go on the lab. <laughs> um, and yeah, that's the last we ever heard of Steve. Uh, Niles is under the piano at this point. Um, it's very sweet the way they come out of the kitchen. Um, actually, no, they come out of the kitchen in a moment and he's still under there, but he retreats to the piano um, at this point. Um, and again, please check out the D.H. Lawrence poem because I'm putting in mind of that. John Mahoney's acting in the kitchen with Frasier is amazing. When he's mm. like, there's not a damn, you know, there's not a damn part of me or whatever he says that didn't, you know, I did I did the right thing. I might not have done the ethical thing, um, but it's so good. He's so convincing and he's quite kind of stern and almost aggressive in a kind of fatherly way. It's just, it's the best bit of acting in this episode for me. It is. And I absolutely love that speech. But what tops it off is how serious he is then. And when Frazier walks out, he goes, yeah, that's it. Run away as normal. And the first time I believe that, uh, Martin goes to the crystal decanter, pours himself a drink and goes, yeah, well, you run away to cope with your problems. Just like everyone else takes a massive drink and the comedy is straight back into the show, isn't it? Straight back. <laughs> but yeah, oh, you never see him use the drink station. No. We never see him drinking hard liquor, really. I mean, he drinks Jim Beam, fair play, um, but he's always drinking lager. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a, an interesting moment for him to drink the whiskey. Um, it's just the way he does that. I don't know what, he, what do you reckon it is. Do you reckon it's the sherry that, that I think he's. Well, I think it's whiskey. Um, I think he he would only be drinking whiskey. I don't know if I love the way he says "run away" like you always do. It feels a little bit vindictive to me. It is another dig, though, isn't it? I mean, Fraser broke is... up with Lilith, moves across the country to get away from it. Do you know what I mean? I, I think Fraser has got this kind of. I he, know. he walks out a lot, and I think he walks out quite a few times when he's arguing with Martin, doesn't he? Goes to Nervosa or he goes to the station. So it's never Martin that leaves the house when they've had an argument. It's always Fraser. So maybe that's a callback to that. But yeah, you're right. He does seem very. <laughs> no, he doesn't want to talk about it, does he? Just go on, get out of the house, go away. Yeah, yeah. I, I just think it's a it's a bit of a bit of a parting shot from Martin there, like. I'm a little bit like Frazier sometimes. So I was in that situation, just want to recuse myself from it and or recuse, whatever the word is, um, and go for a walk and just chill. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit what he says in the kitchen is bang on, but it's a bit a little bit pointed. Um, we learn now that Maris's money is not from Timber, but from where, Stephen? Urinal cakes. Urinal cakes. And this is doubly poetic because as I invited Steve into this chat earlier for us to start recording, I went to do both of those things. I went to urinate and I got myself some cake, fortunately from different rooms of the house. Um, food in the bathroom. Food in the bathroom. <laughs> um, it was a homemade Victoria sponge made by my mom and it was delicious. So oh. there we are. Um, Nars' delivery if she's had her urinal cake and eaten it. It's just phenomenal. Um, absolutely phenomenal. Um, and the delivery of I flushed out her family secret as well. Uh, just superb. And she's like, "Hello, Marius." I, I have to pick on, and you may have something to say about this. I have to pick on the English used here because Ooh. I learned something very, very fascinating when I watched quite a few documentaries and listened to a lot of podcasts a couple of years ago about Ted Gazinski, the Unabomber. Yes. He was caught by his language used in the writing of his letters that he used to send to the newspapers before he sent bombs. Mm. And one of the phrases it, they picked on was how everyone actually apparently says this incorrectly, which is, uh, have your cake and eat it too, which is actually grammatically incorrect. It's eat your cake and have it too. Eat your cake and have it too. Have your cake and eat it. Why is it grammatically incorrect? The reason apparently goes back to if you eat it and you've still got it, you've profited, haven't you? If you've eaten the cake and you still have cake left over, so you've eaten your cake and have it too, you're in you're in profit. If you have your cake but yet then eat it, you've lost it. It's gone. So it should be the other way around. It's apparently it's a common misconception. So it should remind what, what should it be? Eat your cake and have it too is apparently the correct way, and that's how he wrote it. And when he wrote it. That's when the police worked out it was him because he had a different. I think he, did he go to Harvard? I can't remember now where he went to to uh, university. So confusing. Um, 
but he he learned the, apparently the correct way of saying that phrase and that's when he wrote it and that's what gave it away that he had that education <clears throat> wow because in my head yeah if you have your cake and eat it i just thought the whole point is those two things can't coexist it's a paradox <laughs> So, exactly. so, that, so, 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 to have your cake and eat it—that to me sounds grammatically correct because it's meant to be a paradox. But if I gave you cake, so you have it, and then you eat it, the cake is gone. If you eat your cake, exactly, exactly. If you, but if you eat your cake and have it too, it means you've eaten it, so you've enjoyed that, and you still have your cake. But you can't. But so both, both, both are impossible, aren't they? But technically, yes. You, you, but you apparently... can't have it. You can't have it and then eat it, and you can't eat it and then have it. So, I, so could... I, I don't know. I, I'm struggling there. I'd need to Google it because for me, both are absolutely fine because both are impossible. Well, I thought that, but yeah, apparently uh, the, the way we all say it is actually incorrect. And the way he wrote it, which was eat your cake and have it too. Ted Kaczynski was apparently right. And like I say, that's how he got caught as the Unabomber. Yeah, well, they, he they... was probably smarter than us and, you know, not necessarily a better human being than us, but uh, a yeah. smarter one. <laughs> Some some of the stuff that he did, yes, is very very incorrect, uh, morally bad, and everything. His oh brain, God, yeah. His brain was so wasted because he was such an intelligent person. He was clearly very intelligent, but yeah, yeah. A, a crazy crazy man. Um, we do not condone the Unabomber. Uh, we in no, fact we very no yeah we condemn him. We condemn him. Um, I do I do however thoroughly recommend both the Netflix documentaries on him, which I think is one called uh, Unabomber and uh, is it Manhunt Unabomber? That's a really great drama version of it. And the other one is uh, Unabomber Ted Kaczynski in his own words, I think, which is still on Netflix. They're both absolutely fascinating um, to see exactly what happened and how he got caught and and the documentaries about him. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, And they're really, really well made, actually, to be fair. Yeah, that sounds really good. Um, Might check that out, actually. Hmm. Um, So... We are we end in the Vosa with the kiss heard around the world between Roz, not Roz, between Daphne <laughs> and uh, that happened years ago between Daphne and Donny. Um, and we mustn't forget Roz's part in all of this. Um, there's just brilliant <laughs> execution of that multiple times. Yeah, this is a sad, sad moment. I've just got to pick up on the fact that on the on all four where I watch Frasier. In the episode synopsis, which is only ever two lines long, it calls him Donny Davis. Uh, Incorrect, Channel 4. You might want to change (laughs) that one. Um, So there we go. But uh, yeah, the episode has ended. Any thoughts on this final scene, Steve? Yeah, I think the final three or four words are the most miserable sounding thing you hear from Niles in the whole of season six when he just says, Cherry Bark and almonds mm. and sits down silence falls and the show finishes how miserable of an ending is that to an episode when you've seen such delight and elation with niles being happy mm. that maris is gone and everything you think this episode's a real massive turning point and it is but not the way we all thought it was going to be no. and again i mean how would you have felt when you first watched that episode and that's you think this is it now niles is free and daphne's there and he's ready to tell people and then that happens and you just go oh God, what do we do now? I know, like another another obstacle in his path to love. I mean, um, nowadays we just go next episode. Then we yeah. went, oh my god, that's next Friday. That's seven whole days. How <laughs> what do I do to find out what happens next? What do I do? Uh, is this episode in your top ten, Steve? I actually think it's an incredibly strong episode. It is. Um, it is. It's not in my top ten. The main reason it's not in my top 10 is because I think it leaves it too open-ended at the end of what's going to happen. I think if it had closed off somehow without Donnie then being in a relationship with Daphne, I think I'd rate it even higher. Um, but I just think it, it it's it's a beginning. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's almost like a season opener. There's a lot more story going to happen now that Donnie's in there and you see that happening. And mm. I think for me, that just doesn't close the episode off to make it a one-off episode. I feel like it's going to have a part two, which it kind of does. Um, yeah. Very high, but not in my top 10. How about you? I completely agree. Really, really strong. Loved revisiting this. Loved seeing Donnie for the first time again, but not in my top 10. I'm going to segue straight into actor pick because I've gone for Donnie Douglas. Um, Do you know what? So have I. <laughs> hey, I think there's a lot of brilliant performances in this episode, actually. I think everyone is excellent, even in the minor roles. Um, mm. I think there's some brilliant, brilliant performances on show. And John Mahoney, I think, has the best moment of the episode in the kitchen with Frage. But I just think, yeah, what a treat to see Saul Rubinek just so fully inhabit this character. Um, I think he's brilliant. 
Yeah, I, I don't know of any other. He is in other TV shows. I don't know of any other sort of sitcoms or comedies that he's been in. Like I say, I knew him from Hollywood, sort of big films like I say, True Romances for that. Before I really saw him in this, yeah. so I I think he really adjusted the way he acted to to sort of fit into a sitcom. And obviously the the layout and everything, the cameras, everything would have been different for him to come in and do this. Um, I think he, he he just smashed it out of the park. It's a brilliant performance. And, and what a way to – they don't sort of sneak him in. He comes in. He makes the scene straight away, doesn't he? He's a very big impact character immediately. Um, and that's what sells him for me. Uh, I really like his character. I know that it's going to be a lot more fun from him in the future. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kelly Burling, our man on the ground, uh, where does his family's money come from, to the best of your recollection, Steve? Uh, it's actually oil. Oil. That's that's mm. a lot. That's not what he's been telling. That's not what he's been telling the men down at the uh, down at the club. But then he's is... got he's got his ethics, and he's not under oath at the club. So he's, he's not know. under oath at the club. So that's where the real truth comes out. But to us, it's oil. Um, all that remains is to play. Whose crane is it anyway? And your word today, as I know, you never shrink from a challenge. Is the word shrink? Oh, um... who uses the word shrink? I'm going to guess it's Martin only because he's more likely to say shrink. You shrinks are all the same. It's Donny. Like, <laughs> listen, I get it. Your wife was doing your shrink. Uh, oh, and now she's trying to bleed you, blah, blah, blah. So there we go. Um, shall we get over to listen now? Yep. Let's hop on over. Ross, who's our next caller? Okay, so listen to Mel this week. Uh, lots of great responses on Facebook and Instagram. Um, we will tr- we always read these and we try to reply to them as well. Um, lots of you have really kind of long, which is great because you're really engaged with the episode, but we're not necessarily can read all of these out. Uh, so we're just going to kind of cherry pick a few of them, um, but we do read everything, so keep them coming. Uh, Julie Ingu says, love our intro to Donnie. He seems sloppy and not paying attention, but he's a great lawyer. The whole sitting on the piano is a weird thing. Made me wonder if one of the writers actually did that himself slash herself the urinal cake reveal tell her i flushed out her family secret uh and cherry bark and almonds gets me every time you and me both uh, julie i'll read a few of these quickly off instagram we've got jack humphrey uh which is one of the best miss Riss, i love it grace chivel i love it and also kaz underscore my says a top 10 episode for me love seeing niles win his freedom which Excellent. I would agree. I would agree. Kevin Thomas says, I love this episode and everything it meant for the show going forward with the introduction of Donnie. He's a great character because he's so likable, but the audience is always rooting for Niles, so that creates a great tension. Completely agree, actually. Uh, I don't think they handle Donnie well at the end. Um, particularly it, well. It's, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? it yeah, is, he's there. And... Kevin here. Yeah, yeah. It, it's just awkward. And it, well, actually, it goes on to this comment I've actually got here that's uh, from Sean on the Dance Floor. It says, bittersweet ep for me. Uh, I love Donnie, but this story breaks my heart for Niles' sake. And um, I've also got Jason Lipschitz that's put, uh, time to hide under the piano. <laughs> mm. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And Kevin finishes by saying, I think this is the start of the show, taking on that soap opera style where they build the drama between Daphne, Donnie, mm. Niles, and later Mel, which I believe is the show's high point. And I think a lot of people would agree uh, yeah. the show does reach a lot of dramatic tension at this point. There's a lot of... A lot more, yeah, dramatic moments uh, than maybe we than we get elsewhere. Uh, David von Kampen, this episode to me feels like the most clear moment of division between early classic Frasier and the late seasons. The whole arc of Daphne Donnie leading up to the end of season seven just has a different vibe. But I love this episode and Donnie's a great character. I do agree. It does feel like we're entering a kind of a brave new world of kind of those little random episodes that are about nothing. They still exist and will exist, but it feels like the arc is cemented here. Um, yeah. And we've now got bit... that. If you miss an episode, you know, like if I show Charles a random episode, I'm always like, you don't need to have seen the episodes around it to make this make sense. You can't do that here. Yeah, with this, this is a bit like this sort of London era of Friends, isn't it? Chandler's just got with Monica and then suddenly yeah. the dynamic changes. And again, you can miss the odd episode, but anything to do with those two, you need to kind of be on board with. Yeah. Yeah. Let me have a look what else we've got. We've got Philip Herman, who says, I like spicy mustard. Hey. And Gareth, 1976-1976, who says, excellent intro to Donny. Sad times for Niles, though, which I would agree with. Oh, excellent stuff. Uh, Wyndham North, the composer of our theme tune, says, uh, I love Donny. He could have been a great addition to the main cast if they had decided to keep Niles and Daphne apart for longer. He fits in brilliantly with the chemistry. Uh, Saul Rubinek is also great in Curb Your Enthusiasm in a minor yes. role. 
Uh, I'm afraid to say that while this run of episodes is great, it's the beginning of the turning point for me. I've never been a fan of the more serious arc around Daphne and Niles and feel that they should have handled it in a more nuanced way. It would have been so much more interesting had... Uh, and had long-term comedic value for the characters to realise that their destiny wasn't with each other, despite their friendship. It boxed the show into a corner. The best later-era episodes are either heavily Frasier-centric, or Daphne is sidelined in some way. Also, love the dynamic of the three of you recording the Valentine's pod. Keep up the great work. I think Wyndham is going to get some hackles up with those comments, but I definitely <laughs> I definitely see the truth in, in what he's saying. Um, I do agree the show loses a certain magic, um, and I do, I don't necessarily love the focus that that Niles and Daphne now take. Um, you know, I, I've always said this: Frasier is my favorite character. Frasier is the person I want to see the most of, and I want all the other characters bouncing off him. Um, and it does shift from becoming Frasier's show to maybe all of them at this point. Yeah, again, this is this is how I kind of feel about this, but this is also how I kind of feel about Friends. Like I say, when Chandler gets with Monica, I find the dynamic in that show changes greatly. And I actually prefer the first few seasons of Friends, even though I watch the whole show, to the last ones because of that. It becomes more about them getting married, them having kids. This is what I love about Seinfeld. As I said before, there's no progression, no development. No one gets married, no one has a baby. The yeah. four friends remain, excuse my French, assholes the whole way through. They never get any better. They're always selfish people who are out to progress themselves, but not actually get in a serious relationship. Um, yeah, the number of so people true. they all, the number of people they all date in Seinfeld is ridiculous because they're constantly dating someone. Um, you know they, they do have that arc in certain storylines, but a lot of the time it's not there. And uh, I think that's what makes Seinfeld different. I know a lot of people don't like Seinfeld for certain reasons, but um, yeah, I kind of like the underdeveloped uh, sitcom sometimes rather than the uh, developing one. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Over on Instagram, the dead is dead. Am I the only one that assumes Donnie's office probably smells like feet really bad? Uh, so true. <laughs> I've had a lot of people actually commenting. So Lisa Weeks, um, who else says this? Uh, a few others basically just say how disgusting Donnie comes across. Um, I'm going to read just a couple more um, for this week's listeners. So Tim Wilshire, great defining episode of Frasier from Marius can have her urinal cake and eat it too, to the scene at the end of the episode where Donnie asks, what is that lovely smell of Daphne's hair? As Niles turns around, he says, cherry bark and almond. Uh, John Jones says, it's one of my go-tos when I'm down, purely for Martin's speech to Frasier in the kitchen, which we love as well. Have you got any more on Instagram, Dave? Uh, just a couple of short ones. Chantel says, not to the best of my recollection. And Excellent. Ashley too says, hello, Maris. Oh, and we've also got a couple of those from John Jones again. Hello. <laughs> excellent excellent stuff um thank you all so much keep your listening mail coming very very excited about the run of episodes we're in now next episode is decoys i love that episode episode after that is dinner party i love that episode as well <laughs> i know i know steve loves it i know it's a big big fan favorite amongst uh listeners as well so the next two episodes is a hell of a one-two punch in my opinion uh so very this, this run of three episodes if you were going to pick three episodes from season six to put together i think this one and the next two decoys and dinner party is a very very good selection if you want an hour of tv to watch that is a hilarious hour of tv to be it's enjoying very very strong isn't it it really is um okay well we'll be back then but other than that i've been will and i've been steve and thank you very much for listening to we're listening hey baby i hear the blues are calling toss salads and scrambled eggs oh my and maybe i seem a bit confused yeah maybe but i got you pegs but I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. 